you know, because once you start to, to just follow a set of rules, that's when you start to be on autopilot. That's when you start to kind of check out and rely on the system rather than seeing the person in front of you. I try to bring systems thinking to the way that I move through the world, the way that I do my work, the way that I show up for clients, the ways that I give back. So I think that the tattooing and the, the power that it can have for people is, is ultimately about choice and about agency. And I think that's why people want to insist that tattooing isn't political because they want it to be simple. But I just don't believe that that's the case. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for uh, thank you for making it. Oh yeah, definitely. Thanks. Sorry I was running a little bit behind today. No, that's all right. That's all right. You look very professional. Oh, you know what's funny is I actually just started a oral history program. Uh-huh. So I had so I had to get all of this audio recording equipment. But it's been nice to use, you know, real headphones when I'm on Zoom or doing interviews or anything like that, just to like, be able yeah. to focus. Because I saw that you were starting, the, what is it exactly? I, I saw something history related. Um, yeah, it's a master's degree for oral history. So basically I'm training to become an oral historian, to be able to record and archive people's stories. Oh, that's dope. Is that something you always wanted to do or? Um, no, it's something I sort of just learned about. I learned about the program a few years ago and I've kind of been following the program and I um, have taken some workshops with them, but I really liked what they were doing. So I decided to, to go. Okay. How are you, first of all? I'm doing pretty good. It's been uh, kind of a busy week, you know, because my program just started. This is my first real week of classes. So um, yeah, a lot of commuting, um, a lot is it, of- Is know, it far away? Yeah, it's like a it's like an hour train ride away. Okay, and how how often do you have to do that? Fortunately, I only have to go there for the most part two days a week. But like today, for example, I had to go up there this morning to get my ID. So it was like a three hour round trip just to go pick up the ID and then come back to Brooklyn. Um, oh God! Yeah, so a lot of like the logistical things to get in line and to manage, and the school is like a little disorganized to tell you the truth. Um, but the program is really cool and I am excited to be starting it. And this is my first real week of classes and I have a lot of homework to be doing and all of that. So. Okay. And is that where you're from? Brooklyn or? No, I, so I grew up in Georgia. Uh, I moved there. My family moved there when I was three, but I moved to New York when I was 18. So I've lived here kind of longer than I've lived anywhere else now. So you feel like a New Yorker. I do. Yeah. Especially during the pandemic, you know, a lot of people were moving away or moving home and the idea of moving back to, to Georgia felt so foreign. I don't really think of it as home anymore. Uh, can you remember the first tattoo you ever seen? Sure. The first, the very first tattoo I ever saw was a tattoo that my, that my dad had. He had a music, a little music note tattoo 
that he, I think really hates, I think he regrets getting it, but my dad was briefly a radio DJ when he was in college, um, when he was, when he was young. So he had this little music note tattoo that was really old. And did you get to tattoo them to fix it, to change it or? No, <laughs> no, I don't know. My, my mom doesn't have any tattoos. Um, I don't know if she'll ever get one, but she, she's talked about okay. it. We'll see. How do they feel about your career and stuff? Um, to tell you the truth, well, so my mom, I think, felt concerned about it when I first started, but I was getting tattoos before that. And so I think I always looked punk and like alternative and had like piercings and, you know, dyed hair and that kind of thing. So I think she wasn't so surprised that I wanted to get tattooed. Um, but at that time people felt like tattoos were such a barrier to employment you know that you just couldn't get a job if you had a tattoo um if you or if you had any any visible tattoos so I think that was what she felt most worried about because you know my mom is isn't an immigrant so they like she really wanted the best I was like the firstborn child so you know there's like a lot of ideas about what success looks like and about what yeah. a stable career looks like and they want you to have a good job and a good income And I think, so in some ways, I think once I started tattooing and it was my job, she felt less concerned about the tattoos themselves because she saw that it actually was a stable form of income for me and, and a field that I could support myself and, you know, pay my bills and, and do okay with. So I think she was less worried about the tattoos and what they looked like and more worried about me <laughs> being employed. <laughs> being in that uh, environment you know what what i've seen with me or other friends and stuff is that sometimes the the pivotal point is when maybe they get to see really you know how that world is especially from through the eyes of somebody else so when they start seeing for example maybe you get i don't know something in a magazine or or some customer like oh she's so good or whatever and then they see like oh oh that's my daughter you know like there is that uh that moment at least for me that for my parents that's how it was when they're like oh ah, actually you make this cool yeah exactly <laughs> exactly because i remember one time my mom call called me and she told me that she googled me and she was so excited because there was like paid you know there was results on google if she looked me up there was articles and things or interviews i had done and so she was able to see oh okay this is a real career yeah um and where did it go from there how did you get into you know into this world how did you get close to it how did you start yeah so the town that i grew up in in georgia was uh had a really big music scene in the 90s so it had a little bit you know so it was known for that kind of alternative culture there was a lot of bands there was a lot of venues um there was a few tattoo shops that i knew of there at the time uh pain and wonder was kind of the one that people know of that was in athens where i grew up And, um, and so I was always interested in tattoos because I was just into punk and heavy metal and was, you know, seeing people that had tattoos in, in bands and, uh, tattooing was a way to like connect with that culture. Like if you get bands, logos or lyrics tattooed, um, it was a really natural extension of that kind of that artwork or like those, those logos or like that culture. So, um, But so when I was in school, I was two years younger than everyone because I had skipped a grade and I had a late birthday. So um, I was two years behind everyone I knew with doing anything. Like I was two years behind the other kids in my grade with driving. I was, you know, 
when I went to college, I had just turned 17. So I wasn't old enough to get tattooed in tattoo shops legally. Um, but when I went to college, I moved to Savannah and Savannah has a really cool tattoo scene. Um, and so I knew people there again, who were in bands, who were getting tattooed people in my grade were old enough to be going to the shops and getting stuff done. And, um, you know, I had friends that worked at the counters or were a friend of mine at the time was apprenticing to tattoo. So getting to see how that was happening and how that was functioning was something I was really paying attention to and really, really attuned to and, and interested in and sort of had the feeling like maybe I, I would want to do this one day. But uh, at the time I was going to school for fashion design and for textiles. So I thought that's what I thought that was what my career would be. Then you realize that, you know, there wasn't the, there wasn't the path. Yeah. So I, yeah, I thought I wanted to go into, into fashion and looking back, I think it's really obvious that what I was actually interested in was craft and things that were handmade. Um, because when I was young, I made a lot of my own clothes and I was really into just all kinds of, of craft crafting, I guess. Um, and so I thought that that meant fashion design, but then I transferred to a school in New York and I moved to New York when I was 18 to go to a design school and I, I really hated it and it felt so commercial and it felt really corporate and sort of um, soulless and, you know, politically I was really opposed to a lot of the, the practices and ideas that they were promoting and um, I just felt culturally really alienated by, by the whole school and by the whole culture that they seemed like they were grooming us to, to join. Um, and so I left that program. I took some time off um, and was really trying to figure out what I was going to do. And a friend of mine who I lived with had started a printmaking program and was going to school for printmaking. So I ended up doing that. And that's what I actually have uh, my BFA in. Have those worlds ever combined at some point? Obviously, I think somewhere you must still have the passion for that uh, fashion design and stuff, but maybe in your own way, you know, without of the outside of the, you know, corporate interest kind of thing. You know, has this ever crossed path with your tattooing? Have you ever done anything with it, or you still do something with it? Or I think I'm interested. I can I can see why I'm in, I was interested in in fashion because it's a form of visual self expression and it's so much about communicate you know it's another way to communicate about yourself and to sort of devise uh, an image for yourself. Um, I was always so interested in subcultural style, especially and even in my visual artwork now. That's a theme that I explore a lot: is how we communicate about ourselves in these sort of shared. Um, shared languages, right? A lot of it is like very subtle or very secret. And this, it's the same with tattooing. You know, you can read so much about somebody if you know um, just a little bit about their their world or that mode of expression. Like with, with, um, with fashion, for example, somebody might look like uh, they just rolled out of bed. But if you know designers, you can see maybe they have on like a thousand dollar pair of pants. Um, and so you, maybe you can see something about them or like, you might know that they're wearing like a really rare vintage designer item, um, or with tattooing, you know, if you don't know anything about tattoos, you might not even see the individual pieces, but if you do, you can see, oh, that person might, might be from another part of the world. Cause I see that they have tattoos from artists from Germany, for example. So that's something that I am always fascinated by is that, um, 
that sort of insider knowledge that helps you to communicate in ways that not everyone can, you know, it's not universal. Not everyone knows those things or can recognize those things or be perceptive. Yeah. You know, this is something that regardless of the field that we're talking about really fascinates me that the codified language beyond words, you know, if you know, and this is the same thing, like with body language, like, I don't know, even with certain groups, I don't know, you might even think like uh, hooligans or like prison or, you know, different environments or, and, and then you can read the signs and they can almost read the person or at least like, it's almost like an introduction, like a, like a business card. It's like, okay, I know already this about you. And then of course you need to know more, but it's like a codified language in, in images and symbols and actions and it really fascinates me. It's almost like an anthropological kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and some of it's conscious, some of it's unconscious. That's always a really interesting part about it. Um, and and printmaking to me is also aligns with those things too. I mean, printmaking has a really incredible, really radical history. And printmaking was all about the the sort of democratizing of um, of information. You know, like the church, uh, the church was the only only place that had uh like the church and the state were the only people who had access to print to printing for so long and so um you had a hand illuminated manuscripts or things that were being made by the government and then with the invention of the printing press the written word became available widely and people who were who weren't wealthy could read um or people could share same with zine zine culture now people could be sharing radical leaflets or manifestos or religious tracts um and there's a lot of printmaking that's really DIY that you can do in like a really rudimentary way in your house or on your own or just with basic tools that you can find and and tattooing is really similar to that yeah you know what one thing i find fascinating is that now we're at the point where this is shifting towards the digital Meaning that, you know, I, I, I really appreciate craftsmanship as in my own taste. So I really like the, the amount of skills that go into something that is handmade. But it's interesting just the reflection, the fact that a lot of this is, is becoming digital. Like you said, you know, with the printing press, now uh, kind of like social medias and digital is becoming that way, you know, to give access to more people to a voice, so to say, or, or not necessarily people that before had the meaning, you know, to afford certain platforms or whatever. So it's kind of like interesting to see how the same is becoming, you know, just a matter of the tool that is changing, but the concept is kind of the same, isn't it? Right. The the digital arena is a is an interesting one. I've I've always felt really alienated by digital media. Um even though we obviously have to participate in it more and more nowadays, I was such a late, like even when using an iPad, I was felt like I was so late to using an iPad or like even trying to use new kinds of machines. But, um, but now with learning how to do audio recording, I'm starting to learn that there's an art to that too. And that there is so much subtlety and nuance and intention to, to that as a medium, you know, learning about, um, different modes of recording or how to try to, how to, um, like I was doing a, I was doing one of my courses yesterday and they were saying that if you're recording in a kitchen, you should unplug the refrigerator because it's actually quite noisy. And, you know, it's, it's a different way of learning to listen, right? Because you have to, um, because there's so much that gets picked up that you would never notice in your daily life. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost a way to make you more mindful to certain things, at least. 
And um, who, like, who are the people when you started tattooing on your first years of tattooing that you were, uh, were looking up to, or the people that you were impressed by and be like, oh. Um, that's a good question. I think I, I mean, I've always loved Valerie Vargas's work from when I first saw it. I mean, it's just so versatile and so strong in every, in every style. Um, I always loved her tattooing. Um, Virginia Elwood was another person who I saw because she worked at Adorned. I really loved her tattooing. Um, I knew Mina Aoki and Marina in a way, and they were young and they were just starting kind of around the same time that I was. So I really was always watching what they were doing. And there was a lot of traditional Americana tattooing that, um, people more locally were doing like the people who worked at saved. I was always admiring their work and, um, and the people, I mean, there, I mean, New York just has so many, so many incredible shops, which is one of the reasons I felt so lucky to live here and to start tattooing here. Um, but, you know, once I started accessing tattooers on the internet more, I was looking a lot at West Coast tattooers. I was following like lowrider tattoo, Jose Lopez really closely, you know, looking a lot at Mr. Cartoon stuff, Tim Hendricks stuff. Yeah. And what would you say is the, the, the thing that changed the most for tattooing? It's sort of like revelation or you know that you picked up and and now it's really a part of your tattooing today that could be like technical could be career could be you know anything wow that's that's such a big question i think mm -hmm. um i i think that i used to really believe that the craftsmanship and what a tattoo looked like was the most important thing that that was really first and foremost. And I, and I don't really believe that anymore. I believe that the experience that somebody has of getting the tattoo is actually the most important thing. And they're both important. It's not to say that one is, isn't at all. Um, but I've seen so many people get these incredible pieces, you know, these like just stunning, stunning tattoos. Um, and have a really negative memory associated with it or feel really poorly about the way that they were treated during the tattoo experience. And it really, the more I started noticing that and hearing about it, I, it made me feel like, so what is that tattoo for? Who is it for? Is it for the person that put it on? Is it for the portfolio audience that might see it on Instagram or in a magazine? Um, because it ultimately should be for the wearer. That's the person who has to live with it. Um, and I was seeing all these people who were going to tattooers that they felt so respected by. And to my eyes, I was like, okay, maybe the tattoo isn't really that great or that, that technically well done, but they're so happy with it and they feel so good about it in every way. And so that really shifted my thinking and that really shifted how I approach tattooing. And ideally, you know, people should be able to get the best of best of both worlds, the best of all worlds. Um, but yeah, I think maybe it made me wonder if that emphasis on, on craft was uh, neglecting some other things that people should be cultivating. Um, and I would, on the flip side of that, see people who had gone to an artist that they had a really good, a really good experience with and got tattoos that to my eye or maybe not so technically well executed, but they were so happy with them and they were happy with the experience. They were happy with the piece. They didn't feel like there was anything wrong with it. And they were able to just feel good. It made, it made me wonder, I guess, it made me shift 
my, my focus, not that I don't care about doing a good tattoo, but to think about how to do, try to do both of those things or give people both of those things. Yeah. You know what? It makes me, uh, it makes me think of something. I was working in Australia, I think maybe 12 or 15 years ago. And a guy I was working with, uh, he told me once over a normal conversation was like, you know what? You're not going to remember the tattoo that you made in like in 20 years specifically. You're going to remember the people, you know, and this got stuck with me, you know, since that day. And the interesting thing is that the people, when I interview people and, and especially the oldest people, people that have been tattooing for many years, they all have the same common ground. You know, they're all focused on the same thing. They're like, you know what? The main thing is the people, you know, because after that guy, you go through that initial, you know, uh, validation, that initial excitement for certain things, you know, that initial exploration of styles and technique. And da, da, da. Once you get all of that kind under control, then you realize, okay, what is this really about? Like you said, you know, it's almost like an epiphany. And it's super interesting. And I was talking exactly about this the other day. The fact that, you know, tattooing is many things for many people. And they're all equally valid. You know, it can be a, a drunk tattoo at a party, very punk, that is very funny. It's not very well executed. Or it can be like a, an incredibly, you know, crafted Japanese piece or something for somebody that's that passed. And they're all valid, you know. But, yeah, you always have that kind of... Uh, you know, driving force, which is, you know, the connection you make with the people. Otherwise, it's like printing something, you know. And uh, this this brings us to, because you're really, you know, you're really involved in this kind of approach. And so to say, I was looking at your website and you can see how many things, you know, you're involved with. So obviously, activism, so to say, it's very important to you. Do you want to, would you like to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So it's, it. It's funny to have found myself in this position because it's really not how I ever conceived conceived of myself. Um, But I think with, when it comes to tattooing, there are a lot of things that I do outside of it. And there were so many things I was learning in really separate worlds. And I was seeing the parallels so clearly with tattooing where I was thinking, wow, tattooing could really benefit from this. And it feels there these feel really far away from each other, or this seems like such an obvious connection that um, tattooing and tattooers might not know about. Um, And especially when it comes to uh, social, I guess, social justice fields, for lack of a better term, or anti-violence fields, um, because the, I would say the two experiences I've had that were the most, that the most informed what I do now were that I taught a tattoo drawing class at Rikers Island, which is a city jail in New York. I taught that for two years. Um, so I was teaching young men mostly who are 18 to 21, basically just draw, drawing using the idea of drawing a tattoo for yourself as the medium. Um, and I had never worked in a city jail before. I was there as an arts volunteer. And I also trained to be on an LGBTQIA crisis hotline and volunteered with this hotline for a brief, a brief time. And what, I mean, I took a lot of things from both of those experiences, but the sort of light bulb moment I had with the crisis hotline was that we would be going through these like sort of sample calls or like examples of things that would arise. And even when I was taking calls and hearing what people were were calling in about, I realized, wow, this is actually exactly what people talk about when they get tattooed. Um, 
and maybe they're not actively in crisis, but they are seeking connection and they're seeking support or they're seeking, seeking some kind of agency. Um, I mean, maybe they're looking for a sense of safety or maybe they're looking for a sense of control over their own lives. And that was what I was really, really struck by. And I, and one of the people who worked at the organization was like, Oh, I, I liked how you were saying that you see tattooing as social work. And and it really stuck with me because I was like, is that what I said? I don't think that I don't think that I said that. I wouldn't have thought about it that way, but that's such an interesting point. And so yeah, I just sort of went down this rabbit hole of thinking about all of the different roles that tattooers can and do play on a daily basis and how unacknowledged that is. Because I see a huge amount of just energy drain and, and burnout. I mean, it's not a surprise that our field has a huge rate of burnout. Tattooers are like the most exhausted people that I know um, and have a really hard time finding a healthy work-life balance and like a sense of self outside of tattooing even. Like, it's funny now that I'm in school, I feel a little bit embarrassed because anytime anyone says something, I'm like, oh yeah, it's kind of like in tattooing. And I'm like, oh my God, is this the only thing I know? I've been doing it for 13 years, but like, can I just once not relate this idea back to tattooing? Um, and I think that's how tattooing, you know, that's the role that it plays for so many of us. It's like the nucleus of our, of our cell. It's like the sun in our universe. And for there to be so much that's expected of us when we're performing it, even aside from how, how technical and how challenging it is as a craft, I really wanted people to talk about that more and to think, um, not just about how to like stop being burned out or like not just think about how to be nicer to clients, but to think about it as this um, really holistic universe. And like, what are we trying to do within that? Because it's interesting now I see, I first created this pamphlet resource that's about trauma aware tattooing uh, in 2019. And the, it came about for a real reason. It was because Saved was working with the Women's Prison Association to do free cover-ups for some of their clients. And a number of the women had the names of abusers or people who they had been sex trafficked by, tattooed on them, or had been tattooed coercively, like as a, a brand or like a marker of property. So, uh, so it was really obvious that they had experienced tattooing as a form of violence and a form of control. And they were entering into a tattoo shop again um, to tattoo over that same area. So it just seemed really, really fraught with like potentially re-triggering them and, and so important to make them feel safe. And like they were the ones in charge and they were the ones making the choices. Um, so because I had some experience working in those fields, I worked with, um, with WPA to make this sort of protocol of how to work with people who might be trauma impacted um, in the tattoo shop for that event specifically. Um, but, you know, we made that widely available and that was sort of the first like public resource. And then, then in the beginning of the pandemic, I recorded some longer workshops and I kind of keep expanding it and then wrote this book about it. Um, but I find it also to be really limiting to talk about being trauma informed. And it's not a it's not a label labeling that I particularly like, but it feels important to use it because it connects to existing trauma informed practices that, you know, that exist in like medical fields or in social work fields that people are already employing. Um, and tattooing is pretty behind on all of those things. So 
when I started talking about it, I felt like I had to use that labeling so people would kind of know what I was talking about and that I didn't invent it. I just wanted to think about how to bring it into tattooing and how to apply it to our specific work. But it can also be a huge turnoff for people, I think, because like the idea of having to always think about trauma is just so draining. It's very daunting. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, book that you talked about is, uh, I was uh, looking at it the other day and it's very, it's a beautiful resource. So definitely I, I recommend everybody to check it out, which you, which you have for free on your, on your website. So that's, uh, that you can find it uh, through your, the link in your bio. So definitely uh, I recommend everybody to check it out. And um, what do you think is the, the most powerful tool that in this scenario, the tattooing has uh, in order to uh, enrich these experiences with a healing property, so to say, what, what would you recommend to to people? You know, to to focus on, to read into, to work on, to to develop more awareness about stuff like that. Um, I mean, it's a complex topic, and I think it's hard to distill into into one thing. And my my philosophy with the approach too is that. Um, sort of the reason that tattooing has been failing at giving everyone a good experience is because it's had like a one size fits all customer service approach, right? I think a lot of people believe, oh, if I just treat all my clients the same, then I'll be fair and equal to all of them because the treatment's the same, but the people aren't the same. And my, you know, I'm not the same as them. So my perception of what's good treatment could be really harmful to somebody else. And so that sort of like golden rule of customer service doesn't, doesn't really work in practice. Um, and the idea is attractive because if we just knew one simple rule of thumb that we could use all the time, that would be easy and we would make a lot less mistakes. Um, uh, you know, a criticism or like some or feedback that I get a lot of the time when I'm, when I'm teaching this is people are like, oh, this is all common sense. It's all things that I already do in tattooing. And I think that that's very true, right? A lot of people are giving folks a, a good experience or like getting at the thing that makes it so significant, um, even if they're not being conscious of it. But I think what's important to be mindful of is not, you know, that you're doing A, B, and C steps or rule following these rules. It's more about keeping in mind what it's achieving for somebody and what the aim is you know, because once you start to, to just follow a set of rules, that's when you start to be on autopilot. That's when you start to kind of check out and rely on the system rather than seeing the person in front of you. And I think, so I think that the tattooing and the, the power that it can have for people is, is ultimately about choice and about agency. So if people feel like they don't have any choice in the matter, that's going to be really disempowering. And if people feel like they don't have agency and they're you know, they're just there at the whim of the, the shop or the artist, then that is, is going to feel pretty bad to them, I think. So I think a lot of it is about trying to work against the natural power dynamics and hierarchies that can happen in, in a tattooing environment and making sure that you're reminding somebody that they have choice. So more towards the empowering uh, side of it. So you can, yeah, you can en enrich the, this experience just beyond, oh, I pay, I get this, but it's, it's you part of the process. Right. And I don't think that has to be a heavy, a heavy verbalized thing. You know, I don't think we have to talk all about why the tattoo is, is important to you or, or I don't really need to hear 
that my tattoo was so empowering for clients. I think that can be personal to them and that can exist in their experience, even if they don't want to talk about it. Um, or even if they're not necessarily thinking about it that way, going into it, but we live in a world that, uh, that has a lot to say about how we live and about how we are in our bodies. And, and there's a lot of people who absorb that much more than others. You know, if, if you look at what's happening politically in the U S right now, even like the, um, anti-abortion bills that they're trying to pass or the anti, uh, you know, trans athlete ba bans that they're trying to pass. There's so much regulation around your body and how you can be in your body. And so I think that just being able to make a choice, a permanent lasting choice about what happens to your body is incredibly powerful. Yeah. You know what, like one, one thing that I, I realized, but then again, this is just one realization and one opinion of one person. So it's like, you know, as good as any others. But one thing I realized over the years that is, is one of the most powerful tools in this dynamic between, you know, you and the client is empathy. Meaning that, you know, it goes down to emotional awareness, I guess. But I've seen this uh, at some point, even with myself, you know, maybe you have a bad day uh, and with people, you know, around the world where I work in shops. And sometimes, you know, if you're aware of this dynamic, then it becomes very obvious of how, you know, you, you're looking at this colleague of yours and this customer has been a little difficult or whatever. And then there is this friction building up more and more. And then it becomes almost like an unspoken conflict. And then you're looking at it and then you're like, uh, you know, uh, this becomes something, this becomes a problem because somebody here is taking it personal. Right, so now you're identifying either a word or a statement or a, or a design or whatever you know with something more than it is. And what helped me in this situation, this dynamic is empathy, meaning that sometimes, not always, but sometimes I, I managed to be able to put myself in that person's shoes. And I remember specifically now, I remember one girl that she was very, very let's say, diff being difficult. And then I thought, why is she like this? And then I tried to put myself in her shoes, and she was just scared that she would not get what she wanted so she closed up so the thing is the more the more you close up then it's just like a you know a force against force and then i realized wait a second let me let me open up instead so that if you don't have this resistance that just goes through you right and then you could see it's funny because in a matter of minutes like she completely changed her attitude because she realized ah i got nothing to fear here you know and then we speak in a common language now and, and the whole thing changed and she left and she was very happy because we connected. But there is that, that pivot moment, you know, where if you put that wall, that's it, you know? And uh, yeah, I think yeah. empathy is definitely a powerful tool. I mean, that, that's such a great example. I see that happen all the time. And I think people have a lot of fear around giving up power, especially in the, when we're tattooing people, because, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I definitely experienced a certain amount of, you know, seeing, cl seeing clients as sort of the, the other, or like the uneducated who don't understand our job. They need to be, they need to be informed. They need to be guided with like a strong hand sometimes, um, or seeing clients as these kind of like people who are ready to take advantage of you or cross your boundaries, like at the merest sign of weakness on your part. Um, and, and that's a defense mechanism. You know, if, if uh, 
I, I've definitely found myself having to unlearn, unlearn that and realize, you know, if I, if I can let go of that defensiveness, then that person's not going to have to work so hard to get what they need in the situation. And we can just bring everything down, down a notch. Um, because you're right. I think sometimes people feel like they need to flex, flex power or come in hot to, uh, to make sure that they're heard. And if you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm listening. We don't have to do that. Then it can go a lot easier for everyone. And people can, can hopefully, like you said, be more empathetic to one another. People are just doing the best they can with the options that they have available. You know, we always assume that people are making a lot of conscious, intentional decisions, but a lot of the time people are really just doing the best that they can with what they've been, been given. Um, I, I had a client not that long ago who came in to get tattooed and we were really having a hard time with the, ta- the, the drawing, you know, we just had been going over it line by line for an hour and just could not get it to a point where they, they liked it or felt good about it. And I could hear they were trying to talk themselves into liking it. And they were like, okay, I think that's right. I was like, okay, obviously it's not, it's not right. Um, so what's still, what's still not feeling good and eventually the, the client, you know, was able to open up to me and tell me that they had had something really, really traumatic happen them, to them that morning um, that had brought up like a lot of old things for them. And, um, and I was like, oh my God, wow. Yeah. It makes so much sense that you are having a hard time making a decision or knowing what, if the design is the right design or not, or, or even tuning into your own preferences because, um, that's a really intense thing to go through. So maybe today's not the right day. It's putting a lot of pressure on yourself. It's putting a lot of pressure on me to try to figure out your needs if you're not sure what they are. Um, so let's just have you come back another day. Like you should go and do something really nice for yourself and like rest maybe. Yeah. Sometimes like a, how are you goes a long way. Huh? Right. It seems so simple. Just, yeah. Just a few words. And, um, where would you like, or, or how is this, um, because it, it, it sounds like there's a uh, this new uh, understanding that you have about tattooing. It, it happened quite everything quite quickly with the book and stuff, with the with the webinars that you teach now. Like how how is it evolving, and where would you like it to go if you could, you know, wish for an ideal outcome over the next few years? Well, I think, I think quite a lot about these, these resources, you know, I'm really self-critical. I do a ton of reading. I did a lot of consulting with other people. Um, you know, I surveyed other tattoo, like a ton of different tattoo artists. I consulted with therapists, like mental health professionals, social workers. Um, I asked hairstylists how it's similar to their job, nail techs, you know, acupuncturists, um, to really just try to get as broad a view as I could, um, and try to create the most cohesive resource to, to present to people that, that I possibly could at the time. Um, and I think that these, I mean, they're huge topics and what I now sort of say that the book is about it's cause it's not just about trauma informed tattooing. I think that that's selling it short and selling what's needed in the industry short. It's I, I try to say it's about the political responsibility of tattooing because that feels more right to me. Um, because it's not just about learning a set of things that you can implement to like have better customer service or, or whatever, or like think about your client's feelings. It, it goes beyond that. I, I, I try to bring systems thinking to the way that I move through the world, the way that I do my work, the way that I show up for clients, the ways that I give back. 
Um, because even though I'm just existing in this moment, I'm connected to so many things. I come from so many things. Like we're all our participant in these systems, whether we like it or not. And I think um, that if we're trying to do good, which I think most tattooers are, that there's so much to consider and it can feel really overwhelming, of course. And I think that's why people want to insist that tattooing isn't political because they want it to be simple, but I just don't believe that that's the case. And, and I, it can be challenging. Like I've already seen some of these ideas and concepts being flattened for social media or to try to make them more digestible in a way that I get a little frustrated or fearful of because I'm like, no, these are actually, they are, they are hard conversations. They are complex topics. Like it can't be a one sentence thing because there's so much more to say. Um, but I think that, I don't know, there's, there's so much self-awareness that needs to happen. And, and there's so much, so, something I feel really concerned about is that I see a huge, a huge divide in the field. And I sort of sit between these two worlds so I can see both sides of it where you know I have street shop and walk-in experience and I have private studio experience and I learned on my own initially but then I worked in this very traditional environment and um that was very focused on technique and I um and you know I worked with so many so many people who are really respected and known in the industry but at the same time I'm also you know a queer, non-binary Mexican-American person. And um, and that really changes how I experience being in those social settings too. And so I see there being this kind of like old school versus like young generation divide where everyone thinks the other other half is doing it wrong. And every, everyone thinks the other half is like the downfall of tattooing. But my approach is always to, to think about why something came to be because it's not for no reason, right? It didn't, these things don't come to be just because someone feels like being thoughtless or because they are setting out to, to be reactive or like say, fuck everyone. I want to, I just want to break the rules or do what I want to do. Or like, I want to be, I want to be horrible to all my clients and like, make sure none of them like me. Um, no, like these, the, the ways that we do things come about for a reason. And sometimes they develop really slowly over time in response to conditions that we're working within. And I don't think it helps anybody to just say, stop doing it without thinking about why we did it to begin with. And so the same can be said of like the older generation's approach, I think, and this uh, as can be said about the newer generation's approach. Um, people get really, uh, you know, a lot of people get really defensive about tattooing in alternative spaces. And they're like, no, the only real tattooing is in a shop space. But then you have to think about the fact that there's actually a lot of needs that getting tattooed in alternative spaces can serve that tattoo shops just can't be meeting. Um, so it's not for no reason. It's not just because people are uneducated or just want a really cheap deal or can't tell the difference in quality. You know, there's other needs there. So if we can really see at the see to the heart of why things are happening, um, and what people's needs are, then we can try to get them what they need, like done safely, or try to get them what they need at a price that feels fair to them or is accessible to them. Or, um, um, yeah, that's kind of my, I guess that's my approach is to think about the root, the root issue, um, which I, which is informed by my interest in transformative justice. You know what, it's not like, 
I don't know how you feel about that, but I, uh, again, just a personal opinion. It feels like that we are at a time where there is a shift happening on many planes, which could be, you know, political, it could be social and many things. And obviously this ripple is going to hit and is hitting tattooing as well as many other things, right? Music, whatever, you name it. And obviously this is changing too. And it feels like is it something had to happen, like you said, it's almost like a, a natural balance, like in nature, you know, the needs to be reestablished and found like a new balance so this is kind of like maybe now we are at the you know where you have like a sort of a the, the earthquake phase and things are a bit more chaotic and there is a bit more division and then eventually when it kind of settles it settles into a new maybe you know reorganization that was needed it's almost like the, the environment reshaping itself you know so in, in that sense i'm kind of i kind of optimistic because it feels like it's almost like you said it's something that is happening for a reason on different levels you know now we're just like in a chaotic moment of it or something yeah i agree i i really agree and i think that um we really can't we are in the middle of it of it we can't really make any grand sweeping generalizations about like what the future of tattooing is going to be because we are in this very seismic shift that that's going on all around us you know so many structures are crumbling so many things are being brought to light and brought to the surface um I think that that's, that can feel really destabilizing. Uh, I sometimes wish that I could look into the future and know who's still going to be tattooing five years from now, you know, or like what things exist yeah, in tattooing you... today that are, that are, are what's going to stick around and what's not, or what's going to happen. Um, but we can't, right. We have to just try to be as responsive as we, as we can be. Yeah. Then you miss the fun though of, of being part of the change, you know, because you can, uh, you already know what's going to happen. Right. Like in the movies when they have like time travel and stuff, yeah. Right. Yeah, I think people worry. I think I think some people fear that if they people fear this kind of like concept of social, like a social justice approach to anything. You know, people are like, oh, it's like so sensitive. It's like social justice warriors like trying to make tattooing like so toothless or try to make tattooing something that I never wanted to be. But I don't see that being the true true at all you know I see all these younger generations of tattooers coming into it and really being challenging like not just of um not just of like the lineages of tattooing or the traditions of tattooing but of like the aesthetics of tattooing of like the social norms of tattooing um it's really incredibly punk and that is what tattooing is all about to me like that's how tattooing stays fresh that's how it stays relevant and that's how it stays interesting and taboo and, and subcultural is people challenging the things that we've come to accept as as the norm um and and i see also a lot of those people who maybe don't get this kind of consideration, but I see them being very devoted to tattooing. Um, it might not look like what we were taught is devotion to tattooing or respect for the craft, but I'm always amazed when I meet, you know, young DIY tattooers by the amount of time, the amount of energy, the amount of um, community that they build around, around tattooing and how much they love what they do. Um, and so that spirit is very much alive. Uh, there's also this idea that, you know, the people getting tattooed are, are somehow boring or, or less interesting than they used to be. Maybe people think it's too mainstream, but I don't, I don't see that being true either. I tattoo uh, the most interesting, a... colorful characters all, the, all day long. But that's like a lottery, you know? I, I, I don't know you, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it happened the same thing to you. You don't know who's going to walk through the door. 
you know, regardless of what style you do, they might have a certain type of client, but you can't, it's like a lottery, man. You know, tomorrow I'm going to have like this crazy maniac with the stories and the next day, maybe somebody more quiet, but you can't, you can't make like, a, you can't draw a line, you know? And um, let me ask you what, if you can think about it, it's a bit, sometimes a tricky question on the spot, but what would you say is one of the best advices you ever received? Or lesson um, that you've learned, realization you ever had. Mm, there's a there's a couple. I in tattooing, there's definitely a couple. Um, one is that my I remember my um one of the guys that that I worked under at Three Kings um would always be like ears ears open, eyes open, mouth closed. Um when I first started working there and I remember one time he was like, you know, I like you cause you're always ears open, eyes open, mouth closed. Like you don't say a lot, but I can see you're taking everything in. And that's how you get, like learn the most is just by being a sponge and like taking everything in. Like you don't feel like you need to say much. You just like absorb it. Um, and, uh, and being an, an, obs- an observer and being able to be, you know, like a receptacle of, of information, of knowledge, and, and is how you start to draw those connections, right? Is how you start to um, think for yourself in any field. Um, but I remember Andre Malcolm also told me one time that there's no substitute for just putting in hours. Um, Cause I would always feel frustrated that I wasn't learning faster or, or, you know, I just wanted to fast forward through, through all of these things. And I felt like, okay, maybe if I don't sleep or maybe if I like just do one more tattoo today, then I can, you know, progress more quickly. And he was like, no, you have to just put in the time. It's that thousand, you know, 10,000 hours. Um, it's just practice of doing it over and over and over and spending the time. And there's no way to accelerate that really, no matter how hard you want to work or how much you want to kill yourself. Um, I think the other thing, and there's, um, there's a couple of things that I really remind myself of often that are more from like activist fields. There's this indigenous concept of seven generation thinking of, um, you know, when I feel a sense of urgency about what's happening right now, I think about seven generations from now and what was happening seven generations before me, um, which I find really helps, helps me reorient. Um, and there's also this idea of, um, relationships or, or change, um, that should be an inch wide and a mile deep versus, uh, a mile wide and an inch deep. So thinking about smaller impacts that are more profound versus trying to enact the largest, most broad impact that you can, that might end up being, um, more, more shallow. That's gold. Yeah, thank you. Definitely, definitely going to think about those. And um, if you could somehow magically do this, what, what would be the advice that you would give to a younger, your, like yourself when you were like 18, 16 or stuff like that? If you could give yourself a, an advice with what you know now, mm-hmm. what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself that you can't replicate anyone else's path. Um. I had a lot of people who I really looked up to. And I think having mentors and having people who you admire is, is important. It gives you this sort of guide guidepost or roadmap of sorts. But I, 
you know, I think about the people who I looked up to the most and my path has really deviated from theirs. And I can look back at the times along the years when I realized where I diverged from, from them and that I couldn't do the same things that they had done and that I actually didn't want the things that they had, um, which can be sometimes scary because it makes you feel really lonely. It makes you realize there's not a, a roadmap. You can't just, uh, when people ask somebody that they look up to, well, how did you do it? How did you do what you do? Um, they can tell you exactly how they did it, but that doesn't mean that you can follow those steps and have the same result, which is, uh, yeah, a little isolating, but I think I would have tried to warn myself about that when I was young. Yeah, great. Make your own path. Um, Tamara, this was incredibly informative and uh, definitely a lot of stuff to think about. Is there something you would like to tell, first of all, where people can find you and can find resources and stuff? And then is there something you would like to tell people that, you know, would like to know more, would like to do more or anything you would like to advise? Yeah, so you can find uh, at my, my website, santibanestattoo.com is maybe the most comprehensive place that you can find uh, my tattoos and the classes that I teach. And the there's like free, a lot of free resources, like free downloads. There's a free PDF to my book, um, which is actually getting reprinted with Afterlife. So there'll be more copies available soon of that. Um, I think that, I mean... One thing I, I would say to people, partially why I feel so focused on tattooing is because it is something I know very intimately and it's something I feel very close to. And it's something, it's a place where I feel like I have some personal power and some reach. I have a lot of relationships and I, and I see people feeling really afraid of, um, I mean, we can, we can feel so ineffective, especially if you're reading the news every day, or if you're looking too much at social media or just, um, noticing what's happening in the world and noticing all these changes. Like you said, these, these seismic changes that we're all going through without stable footing. Um, and it can often be easier to believe that we don't have any power and we don't have any ability to enact change because that means that we don't have to do anything. But tattooing is a place, I mean, hope, I think anyone who is listening to this, who is doing tattoos, um, has a lot of power and has so much ability to make changes in how we do what we do. I, I think that's why I became so attracted to applying this to tattooing specifically was because I was like, this feels within my reach. I might not be able to stop climate change single-handedly, but I can make sure that I'm being present and respectful to the people who come in my door. This is a small step that I can take or, um, you know, doing free cover-up tattoos for people who have, who have gotten out of prison. That's something I can offer personally. Um, I can't dismantle the entire prison system, but I can maybe make a change in this person's life. Um, and so even though tattooing is also really big, it's a very wide world and we can feel really disconnected from each other. I think that if you scale it, scale it down enough, we do have this like very microcosmic sphere of influence and it can be, um, it can be an easier place to start. Okay. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's very empowering because sometimes you think you don't. Uh, I, I talk about this when I when I you know I teach like painting seminars and I try to you know remind to this this uh, the people that attend the, the fact that first of all you know you have a sphere of influence that is way more powerful than you think and sometimes it doesn't you know because you have limiting beliefs which I think is the the true obstacle you know to everything and sometimes like oh, I don't have the money I don't have this I don't have that and like sometimes even you have time you know you can listen sometimes maybe that's what somebody need or you can dedicate you know there are many ways to 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 focus that energy is not just with material stuff like money or skills or right yeah and I think I also I mean I, I I love tattooing so so much it's so fun and that's um and I mean I won't get into too much of a tangent like that's basically what this whole the whole book is about like like whatever I'm an anarchist okay I'm like a 34 year old anarchist and I really am obsessed with deconstructing power and hierarchy in every um in in every incarnation that it exists in um and I think the tattooing is so powerful in that I think the tattooing can like can really challenge like so much to dominance tattooing can really return power to people who need it the most um and I could say a lot more about how I think it does that or, or why it does that for people but um but I don't I don't know I think um I think people who maybe disengage with my my work and have never necessarily talked to me or like met met me think that I just want tattooing to be this very like therapeutic calm like conflictless space and that's not true at all at all right like <laughs> I feel exhausted by that prospect just as much as anyone else like tattooing is fun tattooing is punk tattooing is anti-authoritarian like that's what makes tattooing so cool is that it's transgressive and that it's exciting um and that it's not sanitized um and that's the spirit that we need to to hold on to, right? And to like make sure that we are doing that without like trampling on anybody else's rights. Nice, nice. Lots of stuff to 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 think about, to remember. Tamara, thank you so much. This was very. I mean, you never know what to expect, you know. But it, <laughs> always pleasant, pleasantly surprised by the amount of and the quality of the, the the stuff that comes out of it. Cool. I really appreciate you asking me. I love the podcast, so I'm happy to be on it. I'm excited to to hear it. And again, thank you for making the time. And I know it's really late for you there, so for bearing with the time difference. No, no worries, no worries. We have dinner late here. You know. Okay. Cool. Thank you so much again. Awesome. Thank you very have much. Have a good night.